You're listening to the Revelation Podcast, brought to you by Open Bible Baptist Church. We're so glad you've chosen to listen today. To learn more about Open Bible or to hear more messages, visit openbible.ca. In today's episode, Dr. Neil Sawatsky talks about the trumpets. And now here is Dr. Neil Sawatsky. We uh, are on the eighth chapter in the book of the Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 8. So if you want to just find that in your Bible so that you can uh, easily follow along in those things that we talk about tonight. And uh, hopefully that this chapter will be enlightening to us and that we'll be able to uh, just be able to say that we know a little bit more and God has taught us something of great values. If you look at Revelation chapter 8, let me just uh, let me just look at a few verses here. We read in verse number 8, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Uh, if you recall that we've been talking about the seven seals and have not done a lot of emphasis on them, we've just kind of let the chapters unfold. Uh, chapter 7 is just a little bit of a parenthesis because in chapter 7 we have the unique selection of the 144,000 who are uh, witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ during the time of the tribulation period. But from chapters 4 on through chapter 6, we see the seven seals given to us. Chapter 4, of course, begins with our look into heaven and the throne and the elders. Chapter 5, we have the distinction of who is uh, qualified to open up the seal, to open up the book that will reveal the seals. And then from chapter 6 on, we see the seven seals given to us. So just as a little bit of a refresher, the first seal that was opened up was the white horse rider. And as we notice from Revelation chapter 6, that the white horse comes to conquer and he takes over. So the, uh, the coming of the man of sin, the coming of the Antichrist is significant. Uh, he does come and he does have the trust of the people before the middle of the tribulation time because it is in the middle of the tribulation that he enters into the temple that will be rebuilt so that there's no way possible that you could uh, logistically and systematically and coherently uh, put the coming of the Antichrist somewhere much later. He has to come somewhere from the beginning to get the trust of the people so he comes to conquer. We have the second seal that opens up which is the red horse where war is declared. There will be lots of war during the time of the tribulation uh, wars and rumors of wars, tons of them. The coming war with Magog, Russia, and the uh, confederates that Russia has uh, will be probably at the very outset of the tribulation time. So when people say the first three and a half years will all be peace, no, it won't all be peace. They're going to really need a leader. They're going to need someone that can hold it together so the world doesn't come apart. And that's where the conquering white horse comes in. But the second seal is the red horse rider that signifies war. Then we have the black horse rider that comes. That's the third seal that is opened up. And that is the indication of, uh, of famines that are coming into the world during that time. And that is followed with the fourth seal that opens up. And that's the pale horse. And it is there where we see that one-fourth of mankind dies. We had shown to you uh, about what it would take to come to one-fourth of the world's population. If we have 7.6 billion people in the world, that would take in all of the Western Hemisphere. You go to the North Pole, to the South Pole, you go to Greenland, you go to South America, North America, in between the entire Western Hemisphere, but that doesn't yet constitute one quarter of the Earth's population. Then you have to go to all of Africa, with the exception maybe of a small country or two. And if you were to take Africa and the Western Hemisphere, that would be one quarter of the Earth's population today. And the, the uh, fourth seal that opens up 
indicates that that is the amount of death that will take place in the tribulation period. So it is a very difficult time that is coming. Then the fifth seal does open up, Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, and that is the martyrdom that takes place in the Great Tribulation, uh, where you have uh, so many people that have given their lives for their faith. And then we have, of course, the heavenly signs and where the heavens open up like a scroll and men plead to die. And it, it indicates the effects of a nuclear war. And, and by the way, folks, a nuclear war is very likely to happen. Just this past week, uh, Saudi Arabia said, if Iran develops a nuclear war, we will compete with them. If Iran develops a nuclear bomb, we will com compete with them. And likewise, we will go nuclear in our country as well. So you got North Korea's nuclear. They are kind of a untrustworthy group of people. You have, you have Iran that has the constant threat of we're going to destroy Israel and their cry is death to America. And so they want to develop nuclear weapons that will be capable of firing over to land in New York City or Chicago or Los Angeles, uh, maybe even Toronto, who knows. But <clears throat> those are things that they're working on, things they're hoping, that's Saudi Arabia. So, so if one country after another, and we mentioned to you the various countries that already have nuclear power, the uh, Russian and the USA are the two big ones uh, that constitute the largest nuclear threat in the world, but you've got the smaller ones, and the one or two nuclear bombs uh, can do an awful lot of damage. But it seems like in the latter part of Revelation chapter 6, you have something like the effect of a nuclear war. I'm not saying it is a nuclear war, but it looks like the effect of a nuclear war because of what happens in the latter part of the sixth chapter. So that is the six seals that have been opened and then we have the interval in chapter 7, which explains how God is going to work to bring souls to him in the tribulation. Uh, that's, that's apart from the seals opening. That's apart from everything else in the revelation. This is a view of God's evangelistic heart. It's a view of how God loves the sinner and has from the very beginning of time and has proven that over the existence of the history of mankind and will prove it again even in the most dire times in the world's existence in the tribulation period where God selects people to go out and talk about the gospel of the kingdom and they'll be proclaiming Christ during the time of the tribulation. But then after we see the effects of the 144,000 where multitudes of people are saved through their ministry, we then have that a uh, very brief period where there is silence in heaven before the seventh seal is opened up. And that's where we are tonight in Revelation chapter 8, where he said that when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence. So if there is silence in heaven for a half hour, what do you suppose that indicates? When everything becomes just absolutely quiet and nothing is happening, nothing is being said, and there's just a, no sound that goes on. 30 minutes can be a very long time when that happens. And so we have that situation that is happening. And so we've got in this uh, tonight the trumpet and the trumpets, and we will see them uh, unfolding before us. So let's look at the prelude to the sounding of the trumpets. Uh, what, what, what happens? And this is where the silence takes place in heaven. Uh, when he had opened that seventh seal, we read that, so I'm just going to skip over that. But I want to go to the Old Testament just for a few moments. We're not actually going to turn there. But all of you know the, uh, the time when Joshua and the people of Israel crossed the river over towards Jericho. And Jericho was a formidable city with fortified walls, but Jericho had to be put into control. It had to be taken because Israel could not afford to have Jericho and its strength behind their backs. So they needed to conquer Jericho. And how are they going to do it? It's an amazing plan. It's just, uh, it's just one of those things that defies description, really. 
because God had said before they came to this formidable city, he said, I have given Jericho into your hands in Joshua chapter 6. And so the promise was there that Jericho would fall to the Israelites. But you will recall that the strategy and the plan was set up, and Joshua leads the people into a very, very strange thing. They march around the city. And so what, what Joshua said to them is, you're just going to march around. And so they walked around. Day two, they walked around. Day three, they walked around. Day four, they walked around. Day five, they walked around. Day six, they walked around. And then Joshua said, okay, on day seven, we're going to do something else. We're going to walk around, but we're going to walk around seven times. And when we walk around on the seventh time, the Levites are going to blow their trumpets. And so the trumpets would sound, which would ultimately result in the falling down of the walls and making the city vulnerable to the attack of the Israelis. And they would be able to march in and conquer the city and take control of it. I don't think that anybody here would even think that this kind of thing would work. Like, what is it about this? Uh, one very bright PhD student told me one time, he said, I, I think I have it figured out. He said, I think it's the vibrations that happened. Uh, and he was into the vibrations of everything, vibrations in electrical lines, vibration here and vibration there. And so his skills were in this area. And so he said, I think that's the vibrations. And I, I said to him, I said, I don't know if you could vibrate enough to make those walls come down. I said, I don't know about the science of it. I do know this, however, that God had already said, I'm giving it to you. But sometimes God made the people do some strange things before they actually realized what they had in hand. Uh, and so in this case, a very strange thing. But when they blew the trumpets on the seventh day, so what, what I'm saying to you is that for six days there was quiet. Nothing was happening, just quiet. And then on the seventh day it was still quiet, but rather than marching around once, these people keep marching and they keep marching and they keep marching, but it's still quiet. And then all of a sudden the sound of the trumpets and kaboom, the walls come down. This is a little bit of the picture of Revelation chapter 8, where you have God looking down, the angels looking down, the elders that are in heaven looking down, and you've got the heavenly hosts looking down, and they are in awe and wonder about what they see is about to unfold when the seventh seal is opened up. Now remember this, that the revelation works this way. You've got the seven seals. When you come to the seventh seal, that seventh seal opens up. And within the seventh seal, you have the seven trumpets. And when the seventh trumpet blows, you've got the seven bulls. So they're all interconnected. So essentially, the other two are incorporated into the opening of the seventh seal but they just kind of open up like a scroll within a scroll within a scroll and they reveal deeper and deeper truths and the magnitude of the difficulties just keep mounting and they keep building so that the judgment of God will be realized, men's hearts will be touched, and just maybe some men might be convinced. You go back a little farther into uh, into the Old Testament, and you will recall that God said to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go and to release them from the slavery and captivity in Egypt. And so plague number one happened, and Pharaoh said, I don't care about that. Plague number two happened, and Pharaoh said, I don't care about that. Plague number three came, oh, I don't really care. And so plague four comes, and eventually Pharaoh begins to be a little bit nervous, and he begins to wonder about what's happening. He begins to be irritated. 
But so the plagues keep on coming and God holds back. What's he going to do? Another plague comes. He holds back. What's he going to do? Until finally the final plague came when Pharaoh finally said, okay, you've convinced me. I, I changed my mind. Get out of here. Take everything you have and leave the land of Egypt. And so God was giving Pharaoh, even though Pharaoh's heart was hardened against God, he was giving him the opportunity by his judgments to turn from his folly and to let the people of Israel go. When God does this in the tribulation, there are so many similarities. And, and this, of course, leads me back to this idea that the tribulation really is the time of Jacob's trouble. That's what the Bible calls it in the book of Jeremiah. And so we need to recognize that God is dealing specifically with his nation, Israel. Uh, I mentioned to you last week, and was it maybe Wednesday night when I mentioned uh, that if you can tell me the expanse of the universe, and if you can tell me what's all in the uh, foundations of the earth, if you can tell me what all that is, then I'm going to wipe all of Israel out. Since man cannot determine the size of the universe, and since man has not been able to really define everything that's in planet Earth, there's no possibility that he'll ever be able to tell God, here is my final thesis, and this is it. There is no more research to be done. So that God will never wipe Israel off the map. And if he doesn't wipe it off the map, if God has not put Israel away permanently, that means that he's going to reinstate Israel and that will come. So, But what happens is that Israel will come back to the land, but Israel will be just as stubborn as they always have been. In fact, they're going to go for the man on the white horse, and they're going to accept a false leader, and they will be, they will be deceived until they recognize who this false leader is. And when we come to chapter 13, we'll be a little bit more distinct and clear on that. But Israel is, in fact, the focal point uh, doesn't mean the Gentiles are not going to be affected because the whole Gentile world will be affected very, very seriously. But it has so much to do. So really, when you look at the Revelation, you got to have a little background in the Old Testament. And we don't have time, or we would have time, I suppose, if we wanted to go that route. But my intent is not to study a dual situation where you have Daniel and Revelation going together because one book alone can be a challenge enough for most listeners but, but the book of Daniel and the book of the Revelation, they just work in tandem. They're just one uh, complementing the other. There's no contradiction. There's Everything works together and everything comes together in light of how God revealed things to Daniel, how God revealed in the book of the Revelation. And so you have the Old Testament economy where God deals with the Jew. You have the New Testament church age where God does not deal with the Jew and then when the church is gone, he again deals with the Jew. This is why it is so important to understand the program of God in relationship to all of this. Uh, people in the recent times have worked so hard to change everything about that and, and, and to give new, new slant and new designs about the program of God. And it's, it's, it's just really unnerving at times. But I just want us to realize that God has his program and it will be distinctly for the nation of Israel. Well, we read verse number one, and so we want to come to verses two through six and look at the persons of the trumpets. So we have, we have the announcement that the seventh seal is opened up, and when the seventh seal is opened up, God says that I want um, these, these trumpeters to be known. Verse two says, and we'll just look at that verse, that they are seven angels. We read, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. All right, so we have the seven trumpets in the book of the Revelation. So if you just want to follow along, and but, but you have the first trumpet, and that one, and so we're actually going to be looking at about four, uh, four trumpets tonight. Okay, we're not going to look at all seven trumpets this evening because our message would get too long. But we will be talking about all seven trumpets. And if you just want to recall that all seven trumpets are a part of the seventh seal. Seventh seal opens up. Now you've got the seven trumpets. So you've got the unfolding of events. Uh, you've got the, the grass that is being burned. You have the 
You have the, uh, the fire in the sea, you have the wormwood in the water, you have the darkness that happens. And then when we come back after our little break, Easter and that, we come back to see the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh seal. And I'll just introduce those to you tonight at the end of this message. But we have now the unfolding of the seven trumpets that are sounding in the time of the tribulation. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly when those seven trumpets are sounding. But I guess we've just got to conclude that it's well into the tribulation because you've got the seven seals, and those seven seals have dealt with these things that we've talked about, and now we've got the unfolding of the seven trumpets. So things are moving along during this period of seven years that are unfolding the judgments of God upon an unbelieving world. Then we have in verses 3 through 5, in verse 2 we have the seven angels given the seven trumpets, and they're going to be sounding these seven trumpets. But I find a very interesting word down in verse number 3, and that is this, and another angel came and stood. This is not as if you would just read that seven angels were given the seven trumpets. This is something like another type of angel is the indication here. Uh, so it is an angel, at least the appearance of an angel. But if you go back to the book of Joshua, do you remember when Joshua stood before this personage and Joshua wanted to know, who are you for? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And this personage said to Joshua, Nay, but as a captain of the Lord of hosts have I come. And what is that? That's an epiphany. The Lord Jesus Christ revealed before his earthly incarnation. But he appeared to Joshua in the form of a warrior angel, maybe like a cherubim. And Joshua believed that he was standing in the presence of an angel when all of a sudden he discovered that this is not even an angel per se, that this is really the captain of man's salvation. The captain of man's salvation is Jesus Christ. So when we read in verse number three, and another angel, it's another type of angel. It, it's indicative of the Lord appearing in the tribulation period Indicative, I didn't say confirmed absolute truth, but indicative of the fact that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason being, if you look at, if you look at this, he came and he stood at the altar. What altar? Uh, very interesting. Having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So looking at this verse, there is an indication that there is a mediation taking place. What did Paul say to Timothy? He said, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's not a second mediator. So since this angel appears to be mediating, and he appears to have the prayers of the saints that he has gathered, who is capable of doing that? You see, we don't pray to angels. Angels will not accept our worship. Angels will not accept our prayers because we don't pray to angels or to St. Jude or anybody else like that. We pray to our Heavenly Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, and the prayers of the saints are there. Have you ever wondered about a disjointed prayer that you offer and you land that over towards heaven and say, Lord, can you make any sense of my prayer? Uh, he, he keeps track of prayers. And in this case, I think he's keeping track of some of the most pressing prayers that took place in the time of the tribulation. So I would just want to see in verse 4, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Verse 5, And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake. Well, right now there is an ongoing development, uh, plans that are being made at the Temple Institute out in Israel. The intention is to build a third temple.
You know, it's, it's amazing how quickly things can happen over there in the Middle East. Right now, the, the, this temple cannot be rebuilt as we stand here today. The, the Mosque of Omar, the Muslim temple, is sitting over the rock where Abraham offered and was about to offer his son Isaac. That rock is right inside of that. And that rock was upon that rock, that rock, the temple was also built so that you cannot have the temple being rebuilt today because the mosque is there. It will be rebuilt when that mosque is removed. That's my humble opinion. Now, I'm aware that there are men that are scholars in these things that say that there is absolute proof that the temple can be built beside the mosque and still take the Temple Mount as a part of the original temple. I think that the foundations will be found to be true under the mosque, and I don't think they'll build anything except on the temple foundations. They are true to what happened with Solomon, what happened during the time the temple was rebuilt, and when uh, it was rebuilt during the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. That temple and that location and that place will be rebuilt. And that, that is coming. As I'd mentioned to you before, that the altar has already been built, and it's just close to the city of Jericho, where Israel is protecting it, sheltering it, and it is the altar that they are saying is going to be transported the day the temple is put into place. And the day the temple goes into place, the altar will go into place, where they're going to be able to reinstitute the red heifer sacrifice and all the sacrifice that they're looking forward to carry on as they did when everything came to a stop in 70 AD. And so they're hoping to have that done. So this is kind of a replica. Uh, friends of Israel have developed this and, and uh, they, have, uh, uh, they have shown this to be the case where this design and this work is uh, being done today. And uh, they're just waiting when they have this replica, it's a small replica of the temple when they have it all finished and they have the go-ahead, however it's going to happen, and I wish I knew, but I haven't got a clue. Uh, I don't think they'll negotiate that mosque with the Muslims. I think it's going to be some miracle of God. Do you know that God can move that, te that mosque today and have the temple rebuilt tomorrow? Do you know that? I don't doubt that for a minute. So to me, it's not a big mystery because I, I am, I'm a very simple guy. I just believe God can do things that you and I can't figure out. So, so I don't know how he's going to do it. I wouldn't even propose a guess at it. And if somebody's going to ask me a question about how this is going to happen, I'm going to say, like I said, Sunday night, I don't know. That's all to it. I just believe that it is going to happen. That's, 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 uh, that's, that's the, my cop out on any argument about it because I don't know that we can argue the point. I don't know that we can come to any conclusion by ever saying, well, this, that, or the other. So, now, going back to what we have in verses 3 through 5, that other angel that comes, where is he? He's at the altar. What's he doing? He's offering up incense to God, the prayers of the saints. So he is as a functioning priest. That's not what angels do. And so the other angel, indicative of the coming of Jesus Christ to begin to act as a priest mediating between God and men, he attends to the prayers of the saints, all the prayer of the saints gathered and presented to God. It is intercession. But then you notice in verse number five that he assumes his position as judge. Well, let me just back up there and read verse number five again. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Does that indicate that this is peace? Or does that indicate that there's turmoil and upset and conflict? It would indicate to me that the result of the pouring out of the censer that is filled with the fire from the altar, rebuilt temple, altar in place, the fire is scattered, and what we see is a tremendous tumult that happens thereafter, such as, Voices, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. It indicates that he is acting as judge. And I just want us to think a little bit about the scriptures that talk about uh, that he is judge and he will put judgment upon the world. 
uh, Paul, if he wrote the book of Hebrews, said, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Hebrews 10. Don't think that he was necessarily pointing to the tribulation time. He was indicating the judgment of the judge, such as we have in Revelation 8.5. We have in the Gospel of Luke, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on the earth? I tell you, nay, but rather division." You know, there are some dividing personalities in the world today. I mean, they're very distinct. Let me just mention three of them to you, okay? The top one, of course, is Donald Trump. You love him or you hate him. You pucker or you duck when you mention that name. Secondly, you have Doug Ford. And already you've got the news media saying he is a polarizing individual. He is more divisive than any man ever. Do you remember how they loved Harris when he was premier of Ontario? Well, we've got a second one coming. Only this one, I think, will be far more outspoken than Harris ever was. He is definitely a polarizing person. He is definitely one who says, this is right and this is wrong. He's not your typical politician that tries to mesh everything together and confuse people. He'll just let it be known to be what he believes and what he stands for. And the third personality that is divisive is Jordan Peterson. Now, Jordan Peterson is fast becoming a world-renowned personality. Uh, he is featured now on so many news stations, television stations, talk shows, radios, and uh, he, uh, he is constantly just being interviewed. And when he speaks at a university, you've got courteous Canadians coming to the university grounds and becoming destructive about the property. These people are divisive. Why? Because they have a distinct message to give, and they'll give their message. Agree with it or not, but they'll give their message. So what is Jesus saying in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12? He's saying, do you think that I've come to bring peace and make everybody believe it all is well? No. He said, I've come to let you know here's the right way and here's the wrong way. Do you think that when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and called them a bunch of snakes, vipers, whatever else, that those were endearing words? Do you, do you think when he said that and said that you are whited sepulchers, that is, that you're like a grave that's been painted white on the outside, but inside it smells like death? Do you think those are the kind of words that the Pharisee says, boy, we really like this guy? I don't think quite that way. In fact, they despised him for the fact that he just let them know what was right and what was wrong. He was polarizing. He said, I did not come to bring you some sense of peace when there is no peace. Man will not have peace until the Prince of Peace rules. And they had not accepted him as the Prince of Peace, and so he just let them know where he was. So Jesus makes it very clear that he would be not the smooth-over person but he would call men to absolute repentance, yielding, and turning to God. He was not going to have it any other way. No man is going to come to God carrying all his sins and entering into the presence of God with all his sins. He's going to have repented of them before he turns to God. Paul said further, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses, how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Our Lord Jesus is making it clear through the writing of his uh, Apostle Luke, through the writing of Apostle Paul, that there's a very clear call. There's a judging judge there's the grace and the mercy of God, and man needs to yield and submit to the grace and to the mercy of God, or he will face the judgment of the fiery judge. So he takes this material in, in Revelation 8, verse 5. He takes the censure that has now been filled with the fire of the altar, and he casts it. It's an indication of further judgment taking place. 
And all this does, it tells us about the activities of another angel. Conclude what you will from it, but I think that you would all agree with me that this is probably a picture of the Son of God as he did in the Old Testament. He will, in the tribulation, make himself visible at some point before he comes back riding on his white horse in the end of the whole situation. So we have the presentation of the trumpets, the sound of the trumpets. What are the, pres what are the trumpets? What do they do? The first angel sounded, that's trumpet number one, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees was burned up, and all green grass was burned up. You think that the environmentalists might be slightly concerned in the time of the tribulation when their beautiful green grass that they love to hug and the trees they love to kiss and hug. Do you think that when these things are damaged so sorely that the environmentalists are going to be a little upset? Uh, I, think, I think that God has a sense of humor in all this too. He's showing us that you who are environmentalists, you really think that you've got a corner on truth and you really think that you're going to clean up this mess. They really believe so. They believe that they are the only answer to earth's salvation. And so they put upon us all kinds of restrictions and rules and regulations, and some of them are nonsensical. I always say this to every environmentalist. Tell you what, you go over to Manila, Philippines, clean up there. Because if you try to drive in the Manila, the Philippines, you can hardly breathe for the fumes. You got all these little jeepneys, you got all these little three-wheelers, and they crank them up, and you got this black smoke just filling up the air, and the environmentalists are not seemingly very effective there. Go to Bangalore, India. Go to Mumbai, India, and you go there, and you can hardly breathe because of the horrendous smell and stink. You go to so many of the major cities around the world, but here they make sure that we abide by every silly regulation that they have about environmentalism. And so we got all these windmills all over the place, landscape, <laughs> taking up the landscape, and, and they're telling us that this is going to be clean energy. The fact is they produce very little energy, very ineffective. In fact, Tanya Granick said she's going to pull them all out of the ground. Wouldn't that be just like government? Do you remember when the liberals had introduced this whole gas thing and the, nothing good came of it and they sold it for $2 and they'd spent billions of our dollars on it? Well, now they spent billions of dollars on this and another government come in and tear it all up. Give them away for scrap metal, probably. Don't know what they're going to do with it. See, this whole thing about environmentalism doesn't make any sense. But that's not the message of tonight. The fact is that one day God is going to say, and as much as you may worship Mother Earth, and as much as you may think that the grass and the trees have to be preserved, I can walk in here and show you how quickly I can get rid of one-third of your items of worship, the things that you are so enamored with. Then in verse 8, And the second angel sounded the second trumpet, and it was there. There was a great mountain burning with fire that was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. What ocean? Don't know. Uh, but there's plenty of ocean in the world, two-thirds or more is ocean waters that cover our planet Earth. And, and you've got one-third of that all of a sudden where every creature, every whale, every orchid, every dolphin, every shark, and every uh, one of those little sea creature horses, seahorses, one-third of all of the creatures suddenly die. One-third becomes blood. One-third of the ships. And there are many ships out there. And all of a sudden, you've got this horrendous turmoil. Does, do, you, do you see a little bit what's happening? You've got a third of the earth. You've got a third of the grass and trees. Now you've also got a third of the waters of the oceans. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, 
great meteorite type of thing that comes out of the sky. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Just want you to realize that they're not going to be able to send NASA will not be able to send a spaceship up against this meteorite coming, circling around the moon somewheres, and put a group of men on there to plant a nuclear bomb inside of it to destroy this before it hits planet Earth. They may think they can, but this is a little bit like the Russian missile. They said it cannot be stopped. And when God says that I'm going to let this star, this meteorite, when I let this come down, it will hit its target. And his target is waters, fresh waters, waters that can now not be used for anything. They've become bitter like wormwood. And here again, we have many men dying because these waters were made bitter. And then we have the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened. So when you look at the sounding of the trumpets, this to me sounds like there's some warfare coming where you have God distinctly intervening, and it's a judgment from God. It's not man doing this. This is God judging the world for unbelief and for sin and for wickedness. And the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And so very inconvenient I'm sure. And then he said, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe. What is he saying? He's saying, Oh, you've seen four, and these four have a devastating effect upon planet Earth, really a devastating effect. But now the angel says, "Uh Uh-oh, something bigger coming also within the sound of the trumpets. It's not a new thing now. It's just a continuing on. And I'm not going to continue on with that tonight because I want to say a few more things. But to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. So we have a third, a third, a third of all these things that are being destroyed. And we come to a conclusion tonight the angelic announcement of worse things to come. What is it? Well, you've got the three angels uh, that are going to blow the trumpet, but the angel of the fourth trumpet says, or the fifth trumpet says, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth. Didn't they already have woes? When you think of the third of all of these various things that come to a sudden destructive end, Doesn't that sound like that's an upheaval of the natural realm of planet Earth? Doesn't that sound like like a really severe thing? But now he said, there is the woe, and we'll talk about it in chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Then we have the second woe. We talk about chapter 9, verse 13, on to chapter 11. And then you have the third woe, which ends up being in chapter 16. So from here on to chapter 16, you got the unfolding of the three really super giant super judgmental issues that are coming to planet Earth. So the seven trumpets of Revelation are nothing except judgment. There's nothing in these trumpets that's encouraging. There's nothing in these trumpets that gives us a bright hope. They only tell us that's judgment upon judgment upon judgment upon judgment because of man's stubborn will, because of man's hard heart, because of man's sin that he lives with. There is a trumpet sound for us, and we find that in 1 Thessalonians 4, the trump of God. We also have in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, the last trump. Very interesting statement. I've had more interaction with people about the last trump than anything that I can recall in relationship to the days of prophecy. What about this last trump? And, uh, you know, um, people who are post-tribulationist or people who are pre-wrath, rapturist, uh, post-tribulation rapturist, pre-wrath rapturist, they will typically say, okay, we have fired the silver bullet. This ends pre-tribulation dispensational truth. 
about the return of Christ. This is it, the grand finale. Is it really? Did they think that we didn't know what we're talking about or what? Let me just uh, show you a couple of things here, all right? This is borrowed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, where it talks about the last trump that will be blown, that is before wrath. No wrath indicated, 1 Corinthians 15. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment and the twinkling of an eye, for the trumpet shall sound, and at the last trump will come. Revelation 11, when the trumpets are revealed, it's during wrath, during the time of wrath. You have the trump of God, Second line, Revelation, it's an angelic trump. You have a singular trump in 1 Corinthians 15. You have a series of trumps in Revelation. 1 Corinthians 15, you have a singular trump. In Revelation 11, you have series. 1 Corinthians 15, you have a resurrection associated with a trump. Revelation 11 is before the resurrection, before the resurrection at the end of the tribulation. 1 Corinthians, you have glory. Revelation, you have judgment. 1 Corinthians, you have an instantaneous result. Revelation, you have a duration. It goes on and on and on and on. In 1 Corinthians, you have the church. It's talking about the church in 1 Corinthians 15. Revelation is talking about Israel and the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's no earthquake, no sign of anything like that taking place. Revelation 11, there's an earthquake associated with all this. 1 Corinthians 15, it's the last trump of the church age. Revelation 11, it's the last trump of a series. It's not the same trump. It's ex completely different. So no silver bullet has been delivered for people to say that this is it. So this trumpet is a summons for the dead and the living to come up to heaven to enjoy the home that has been prepared for them. Now, uh, Dwight Pentecost died a little while ago, and that's a great loss to uh, the world, but he has left behind uh, writings that are of tremendous value and of tremendous, uh, tremendous information. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, calling Dr. Pentecost periodically, and when I'd read a book and I didn't understand something he was saying, I'd give him, get him on the phone and say, Dr. Pentecost, would you explain to me what you said in this book here? And he was glad to do so. And he was always a gentleman in explaining it. I always remember that I read one book and then I read another of his books, and they contradicted each other. So I called him and I said, Dr. Pentecost, what is it? Is it this way or is it this way? And oh, he said, you must have my old book. No, I said, I have two of your books. He said, you must have been reading the old book and you must read the new book now. So, okay, that's all he did for explaining. So, so even these men were fallible. Somebody said even the Pope would know that he was not infallible if he were married. So let, let me read to you what, what uh, Dwight Pentecost said about this trump and the rapture and uh, various things in relation to that. He said, the trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15.52 sounds before the wrath of God descends while the chronology of Revelation indicates that the trumpet in Revelation 11 sounds at the end of the time of wrath. Number two, the trumpet that summons the church is called the trump of God while the seventh trump is an angel's trump. Very similar to our chart. Number three, the trumpet for the church is singular. No trumpets have preceded it so that it cannot be said to be in the last of a series. The trumpet that closes the tribulation period is clearly the last of a series of seven. Number four, in 1 Thessalonians 4, the voice associated with the sounding of the trumpet summons the dead and the living and consequently is heard before the resurrection. In the Revelation, while a resurrection is mentioned in chapter 11, verse 12, the trumpet does not sound until after the resurrection, showing us that two different events must be in view. Number five, the trumpet in 1 Thessalonians issued in blessing, in life, in glory, while the trumpet in Revelation issues in judgment upon the enemies of God. Number six, in the Thessalonian passage, the trumpet sounds in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in Revelation 10, 7, the indication is that the seventh trumpet shall sound over a continued period of time, probably for the duration of the judgments that fall under it, 
for John speaks of the angel that shall begin to sound. Number seven, the trumpet in 1 Thessalonians is distinctly for the church. Since God is dealing with Israel in particular, the Gentiles in general, in the tribulation, this seventh trumpet, which falls in the period of the tribulation, could not have reference to the church without losing the distinctions between the church and Israel. Number eight, the passage in Revelation depicts a great earthquake in which thousands are slain and the believing remnant that worships God is stricken with fear. In the Thessalonian passage, there is no earthquake mentioned. And number nine, while the church will be rewarded at the time of the rapture, yet the reward given to thy servants, the prophets and the saints cannot be at that event. The rewarding mentioned in Revelation 11:18 is seen to take place in the earth after the second advent of Christ, following the judgment of his enemies. Since the church is rewarded in the air, following the rapture, these must be two distinct events. So I want us to realize that there are seven trumpets. We have yet three trumpets to look at, and they are a succession, a series of diminishing effects upon the earth through fiery judgment from heaven, and it is a call to repentance. The trump of God that sounds at the end of the church age is a summon for you and for me, the dead in Christ first, you and me, you and I who are alive, shall be called up, and so shall we be with the Lord forever. I hope that's a blessing to you. The trumpets are not that encouraging, but the sound of the trump is. And if, if you think that you're going to have fun going into the tribulation and experiencing the first three and a half or the first five and a half or the first six years of it and say, I'll be okay because I'm a child of God, uh, I've got news for you. And no such thing is okay in the tribulation time. No such thing. No one will be okay. It's, it's a horrendous, horrendous time. God has no purpose in judging the church. The church, he is ironing out the wrinkles, cleaning out the spots. He's bringing the church to the place where he can assume it, to the place that he has prepared, John chapter 14, so that we can be with our Lord Jesus Christ forever. And that trump will sound one of these days. Look forward to it. Then look out, planet Earth. Thank you for joining us today at the Revelation Podcast. We invite you to join us again next week for a new episode. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, please subscribe and share with your friends. If you want to hear more messages from Dr. Neil Sawatsky or learn how you can visit a service, please check us out at openbible.ca.